Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. I dive in, let's, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we just cry out to you, Lord. I pray that this morning you would move in each and every one of us. I pray that there'd be a shifting of our hearts. God, I pray that today, um, more than any sort of action step, more than any sort of uh, sermon takeaway, I pray, Lord, that today we would come into an encounter with you, uh, that we'd ask you and open our hearts and our minds and our souls to you, and that you would change us from the inside out. God, um, we pray for this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Classic City Church. I'm Daniel Mason, one of the volunteer ministers here. Uh, And this morning, we're taking a pause. We're not stopping, but we're taking a pause on our sermon series. We've been going through a sermon series called Taking God Seriously. For the last 11 weeks, uh, we've been going through the Minor Prophets, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And in these, these Minor Prophets, in the book, uh, books of the Minor Prophets, there's a couple things we see. So the Minor Prophets, they cover about 600 years worth of Israel's history, the people of God's history. And over the course of this 600-year period, these 12 books highlight these moments, these crisis moments, or these pivotal moments in the history of the people of God where God sent someone to them to say, hey, here's what needs to change for my will to be accomplished. So whether it was something bad about to happen and God was saying, hey, this is what needs to happen in order to prevent that, whether it was something good that could happen that God was saying, hey, I'm offering this to you, Uh, If whatever the situation, regardless of the circumstance, and the circumstances are always really different. Again, it's 600 years. It's a 600-year period. So each and every one of these prophets that gets sent is a completely different kind of person, different vocations, backgrounds, situations. The the people that they're being sent to are completely different. And the the circumstances, what God is calling for, uh, every single time, they, they look really, really different. And yet through all of them, Right, again, in this window of the minor prophets, there's two common themes, and we've been diving into these two common themes. The first is that each and every one of these minor prophets foreshadow the coming Christ. They share the character of Christ and who he's gonna be. And the second thing that they all do, the second common thread, the biggest common thread in all the minor prophets, no matter how different they are, or at least the the people and the circumstances, the situation, the crisis is, every single one of them demands a shifting of heart posture. Uh, In each and every one of these crisis moments, you'd expect, we would expect for God to give a bunch of like steps towards fixing the problem, right? Or towards changing the situation. But each and every time, rather than do that, God simply points out how imperative it is that they open their hearts and their minds and their souls to him so that he changes who they are. Over and over again, there is this imperative not to do different things, but to become someone different. And not even to to do it yourself, but to let God change you. Let God in. And so there's this imperative in the minor prophets that we get, the foreshadowing of Christ and the need to shift heart posture. Now, I wanna harp on this for for one more second. Like I said, this is a pause, not a stop. Um, 
in all the minor prophets, again, there's this common theme of, of shifting of the heart. And, and I want to make that a little bit more tangible. I know that seems abstract, so I want to make it tangible for us. There's three things that, that it kind of means when we talk about the shifting of heart posture. The first problem that comes up over and over again that these minor prophets are, 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 are pointing out is that people don't fear or respect God's power. They don't recognize God as their source of life, right? Um, you've got moments like in Habakkuk 3, right? Habakkuk is, is speaking to the people and he says in Habakkuk 3, 1, Lord, we've heard of your great deeds, but please renew them in our day and in your wrath remember mercy. What he's basically saying is this, hey, we, we know, we've heard in religious services, we've heard in your word about what you've done, God, but we haven't experienced it ourselves. And because of that, even though we know you're capable of this, it's not the framework with which we look at the world. Because we haven't experienced you or because we haven't opened ourselves up to you, we, don't, we know you could do it, but we don't feel you're going to. Because we haven't experienced it, we, we could understand that you could do it, but, but we, we aren't eagerly expecting you to move. So please show up. We have to experience you. He's opening himself up to God and saying, please let us experience you so that we recognize you as our power source. So the first thing, they don't, they don't fear God, they don't respect him as their source of power. The second is they don't value his generosity, they don't value God's gifts. Uh, we see this in like the entire book of Hosea is one giant outcry of this needing to shift heart posture. Uh, God sends this prophet Hosea and he does what's called a live play. He literally lives this out so people can visualize and see this. Uh, Hosea basically lives out this proclamation. God says, hey, if you wanna know what it's like right now to fault, like to pursue you or to care for you or to be in relationship with you, I feel like a husband who is like good looking and awesome and cool and provides everything loyal has never like not loved anyone but you and you're like a wife who keeps paying people who are ugly and weird and hurtful to, to use you. You're literally paying people to use you when you've got me at home. And that level of betrayal, that's what it feels like. And what he says is this, he says, hey, the reason you're not following my commands, again, it's not this practical, you need to change this. He says, the reason you're not doing all the things is because you don't value what I've done for you. Again, it's not about the doing, it's about recognizing what's been done. It's a heart shift. The third heart shift that God cries out for in these minor prophets is he cries out for them, he says, you don't trust me because you haven't experienced my character. They don't trust God's character, so they don't believe him when he says he's gonna do something or he wants to do something in their life. And we can see this in books like Jonah. Again, the entire message of Jonah, every single chapter of the book is the prophet Jonah not trusting that God is who he said he is. And so he runs away and God has to show up again and then he runs away again and then God has to show up again and again and again and again to say, this is who I am, this is how much I love you and I'm not gonna betray you. Please trust who I am. And so over and over again, we see this call, this demand, I'm gonna use this word, this imperative that we let God shift our hearts. 
And that can be really frustrating for us. See, we're really practical people. We like, uh, I, I was taught literally, even, even today, I I'm, I'm work for a missionary sending organization, and even to this day, my, my supervisors will ask when I start to you know, plan ministry for the year, what they'll tell me to do, and it's not a bad thing, I wanna preface this, this is not a bad thing, but again, it's practical, and practical can be dangerous. Uh, they'll say, I want you to have measurable success steps. Right? We want to have these measurable success. We want to say, A, we want to begin here and then have these measurable steps to get to B. Because we think that that's the way that change is going to happen. But the message of the minor prophets is this. One, again, foreshadowing who Christ is. And then secondly saying, if you don't open your heart and your soul to let God change who you are, no amount of steps will get you to him. There is no practical methodology, there's no system of transformation that can change your soul. You have to open up to God and let him do that for you. And the message of the minor prophets is this, you will miss everything if you try to get to God without first opening yourself up to an experience of him that changes you. That's the imperative of a heart posture shift. And it's the message of the minor prophets. Now, uh, like I said, we're not stopping. We're taking a pause. Uh, today, we're going to be in the New Testament. Um, when Dad, when Pastor Lee uh, asked me to preach, I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, just one thing. Get them in the New Testament so they know we still believe in it. So we, we've, been in, we've been in the Old Testament for 11 weeks. We're about to be for a couple more this semester. So we're going to do something in the New Testament before the semester's over, guys. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 15. And what we're going to do today, again, it's, I, I call this a pause. We're still doing Taking God Seriously. This is still in light of the Minor Prophets. What I want to show you guys today is, again, the, the point of the Minor Prophets is to foreshadow Christ, to show who he is, and then to, to show how imperative this heart posture is, I want you guys to hear it from Christ himself. So today we're going to see just how close to home this demand for a heart shift was to Jesus. So we're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 1 through 17. We're only diving into one really passage of scripture today. Um, we're in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Now, one last note of context before we actually start reading. Um, just so you understand what's going on, this is traditionally called Jesus' Last Supper. He's meeting with his disciples. It's less than six hours before he's about to be arrested. Um, he's about to be arrested, go through the passion, his suffering in the passion narrative, and then he is about to die. So we always, we always note this Last Supper. Everything that Jesus says here, if you can imagine, some of y'all might have had family members who knew they were about to go and, and had that last conversation with them. This is that for Jesus. The adrenaline and the, the melancholy and the deep just need to get it all out. That's what Jesus is feeling right now in this moment. And as he's in this space of focusing on what's most important to him, this is actually what comes out. This is right in the middle of the Last Supper narrative. John 15, chapter one. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me. Remember that word. Abide in me and I in you. 
As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now if anyone does not abide in me, they're thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and they're thrown in the fire, burned." But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father will be glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for their friends. You are my friends. And if you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants or slaves, for slaves don't know what their master's doing, but I call you friends. For you've heard from my Father, for everything I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so you love one another. We've got this passage, right? Jesus is in the middle of the Last Supper, and he uses this word over and over again, abide, 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 abide. He uses it a bunch of different ways. And for us in, uh, you know, again, 21st century America, and we hear that word abide, and we, we hear it in the imperative, and we think command, do. God is giving us a prescription of what to do to be good Christians, So the last thing on Jesus' heart is to tell you what to do in order to be a good Christian. And we completely miss the real depth and meaning of what Jesus is saying here in his last moments. Let me explain. That word that we translate abide is this Greco-Roman word mino. It's uh, this ancient, they call it Kinoi Greek term mino. And the word mino actually has three other translations. We translate it abide because King James thought that was a good word to describe it um, back in the day. Uh, but the real translation of that word, there's, it's got three different meanings. And once you understand these three meanings, this whole passage takes on a whole new meaning. The first is to sojourn, right? So abiding, mino means to sojourn with someone. The second is to reside with someone or in their homestead. And the third is to endure or be unchangeable or be unshakable. And this, all three of these meanings could go into this word mano or to abide. And so when Jesus is saying abide with me, he's saying sojourn with me, reside with me, and endure through me. I want us to break this down, and I, so what I want to do, I'm going to read, we're going to go through this passage, these three sections, and I want to just, again, point out this. God is not calling for you to do things. He is demanding, he's showing just how important, he's saying it's imperative that you let him do something in you. 
This is what was on his heart. Let me show it. Okay, we're in verse one again. We're gonna go through verse one through eight. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so you've got this image, right? Jesus uses this metaphor through the whole passage, so I'll just say it here. Uh, There's this vine, or there's like a, a tree, and then it has branches, right? And we all know what happens to a branch when you cut it off from the main plant. It dies. If a branch is disconnected from a tree, it, it dies. But if it stays connected, it bears fruit. It, bear, it flowers, it has fruit, there are leaves, it produces something wonderful and beautiful, right? And he's using this image, right? We, God is like a vine or God is like a tree. We are like his branches and if we stay connected to him, there's life, and something gets poured out of us, this lifestyle, the, the life that comes out of us is wonderful. If not, there's nothing, right? That's pretty clear. But then he starts going on this abide kick. And I think it changes everything about how we view what he's really saying. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is or she it is or they it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, they're thrown out like a branch and withers, and that branch is gathered and is thrown into the fire and it's burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, the first meaning of the word mano, the first meaning of this word abide, I said this, is to sojourn. And you completely miss what Jesus is saying if you don't understand what, what, what sojourning is. Uh, the word sojourn, it's where we get the term journey from, right? So it means to go on a journey with someone. Uh, so another way of thinking it, a, a, a sojourn, it, it doesn't just mean to go on a trip, it means to go on a trip with a destination, and, and specifically the trip, the, the, like the, de- or the connotation, right, the, the like thought behind that word is that it's going to be a dangerous journey. So when you sojourn with someone, it means you are, you're going on an adventure, which means there's risk. Uh, you're going on a really hard pilgrimage to somewhere, or you're going to war. That's what it means to sojourn with someone. You're going with someone into the war zone. And in Jesus' world, they would have instantly understood what he was talking about here uh, because they were in the Middle East uh, and in a desert culture. Um, I was reading a book about the Middle East, especially in the development of Middle Eastern culture about a year and a half ago, and it said this, you will never understand anyone from the Middle East, especially someone from the ancient Middle East like Jesus, if you don't understand the desert, See, again, Jesus' entire life was lived in and through a desert, scorching hot equatorial sun at your back at any time. If you guys have ever been on the equator, uh, the, the sun is so hot. I remember my first time under an equatorial sun. It was like so hot and the, the sunbeams were so intense, it was like almost like you had added weight on your back constantly. The sands in the air, the breeze itself can burn your cheeks. The sand can graze your face. That's the day. At night, freezing temperatures, absolutely as cold as being on the top of 
frigid mountains that are covered in snow. It's just dry, so you feel it even worse. Wild animals that are hungry and starving, designed to hunt and kill. See, desert culture understood something. If you end up alone, especially on a sojourn through the wilderness, if you are alone, you are as good as dead. To be alone is to die. Loneliness was equated with death itself because if you were caught in the desert alone, especially on a sojourn, you were as good as dead. And Jesus is saying this, hey, sojourn with me. And what all of his disciples are hearing in this is he's using this metaphor of the vine and branches. They're hearing this, hey, you need to look at me like I'm the source of your life because if you're detached from me, you are alone in the desert. There is no hope. Until you look at me like I'm your life source, until you look at me like I'm the source of power, until you think of being with me as being a matter of life or death, you will never understand like all the action that you need to follow me. It'll never be there. There'll never be a connect. Until you realize I'm the source, until you fear the idea of being away from me, not fear me in like a, I'm, a bad, I'm gonna punish you, but until you look at me like I'm your safety in the sojourn, you will never really attach to me. And he's not saying do this, he's saying experience, feel, let me shift this. Open your heart to recognize I'm the source of life, I'm the source of power. If you do, ask anything. We'll answer that prayer. If you do, no matter the circumstance, you'll bear fruit. If you do, you will be unstoppable. But until you recognize I'm your source of life, you might as well be dead because you're alone in the desert. Sojourn with me. He doesn't stop there. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that joy may be complete or that joy may be full, right? Okay, so Jesus does this weird thing again. He starts talking about abiding and then he connects abiding with commandments and joy, Okay, I don't know many of us who equate rules and joy, right? Following a bunch of rules is bringing joy. That does, that's really confusing. And again, it's super confusing until you understand what he means when he says, abide with me to get to my commandments. Again, he's not giving a do, 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 do. Uh, the second meaning of the word mano, the second meaning of this word abide is to reside with. And again, it completely goes over your head if you don't understand the world in which Jesus lived. Uh, Jesus lived uh, in an Israeli culture that valued hospitality above almost all else. In fact, one of the ways, if you read the Levitical and Deuteronomic law codes, uh, God says people will recognize you are Israelites. They'll recognize your ethnic identity, not by the way you look, not by the way you think, not by your location. They'll recognize your Israelites by the way you host people. Literally, the ethnic identity of the Israelites was written into the fact that if you were, were invited as a guest into the house of an Israelite, they would literally take the, we get this phrase, take the clothes off their back to close you. 
Their food every night was your food. If you were a guest in their house, you were treated as though you were family. And you were treated as though you were family that needed a place to stay. So you were treated as the most important family member to take care of. Now, in a world like that, it's super foreign to us, in a world like that where anyone would be almost obligated, unless there was a weird reason not to, most people would be obligated to not only let you into their door, but once they were in your door, like give you everything they could to take care of you. Staying in someone's house was a, matter, was a way of showing them that you loved their way of doing things because their way of doing things was how they cared for you. So if you can imagine, you have four different family members in this town or four different people that you know in this town and you know they are all obligated. They all have to open the door when you knock on the door. They have to feed you. They have to take care of you. They have to treat you well. You're gonna choose the one that you like the most. You're gonna choose the family who clothes you with the best clothes. You're gonna choose the, the friend or the, the contact person who has the best food on the table every night. Staying in someone's house, residing in their house was the way you communicated in Jesus' world that you actually valued what they give you. They were gonna give you everything. The way you knew that you actually valued someone was by letting them give you everything and by saying, you're the everything I wanna take from. So when Jesus says this, hey, abide in me, he's saying, hey, Stick with me and show, like, let me love you and show me that you value what I give you. I'm gonna give you everything, but sit with me long enough to show you what I have to give is better than any other. And it's in this context that he puts commandments. Check this out. Again, he says this. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that joy may be complete. He's saying this, hey, sit in me long enough. Follow me long enough to let me show you what I'm offering is better than anyone else. He's not saying, follow my rules and you'll get to a happy life. He's saying this, sit in me long enough and you'll realize my way of doing things is the best. You'll do my, you'll follow me out of joy. It's not about doing the commands enough. It's about sitting in him long enough, sitting with him long enough to realize what he's offering you is better than anyone else. Then you'll do the commands with joy. He's saying, you'll follow me just out of your nature once you realize I'm actually the best thing out there, let me prove it to you. The last abide passage, or the last abide section in this passage is even deeper. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. You're my friends. And if you do what I command, no longer do I call you slaves, for slaves don't know what their master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, 
so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. These things I command you so that you may love one another. There's this crazy thing, all of a sudden we've been talking about abiding, 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 and then God does something really weird. Jesus does something really weird. He starts talking about your fruit abiding. It's kind of confusing. How does fruit abide? Again, only makes sense if you understand the last meaning of mano. The last meaning of abide means to endure. It means to be unshakable or unchangeable. Jesus is talking about living a legacy that never dies, about the impact of your life never failing. Um, There's this point that every Christian comes to, some of us earlier than others, when we ask ourselves, is this going to last? Like, can I actually follow God for my whole life? Or some of us, it looks like, am I going to fall? If you read through the Bible for any amount of, of, of time, or if you've uh, followed church history for any amount of time, if you followed the news for the last couple of years, you will know it is a constant reality that most people who claim Christ, just statistically, most people who claim Christ end up compromising their witness in the long run, end up falling or end up falling away from him. And there's this question we are, each and every one of us brought to at some point in our life, is this going to last? Will I actually follow the Lord for my entire life? Will I actually make it to kingdom come? Or some of us, it's not even that. It's just like, will my witness be compromised? We're not worried about salvation, but we're just worried like, man, am I gonna do something that is just gonna compromise the legacy of everything I've been fighting for? And this is what Jesus says to that. He says, if you want fruit, that's going to abide, recognize who you're talking to. See, in this whole passage, Jesus talks about this. He says over and over again, I love you, look at how I've loved you. My father loves you, look at how he sent me to you. He starts talking about his character and God's character over and over again and showing example after example after example. And what he's trying to communicate to them over and over again is this, hey, learn who I am so you can trust me. Let me prove to you who I am and you will believe in me. And out of that belief, your fruit will endure. Then your fruit, then your life, then your legacy will be unbreakable, unkillable, unshakable. Once you know who I really am. But to do that, we have to let him love us. And that's hard. That's hard. But what he's saying this is simply this. He's not giving them a bunch of to-dos. He's not even telling them in a command sense, like love, love, love. You gotta love everyone. You gotta love everyone. What he's saying is this. I have loved you. Let me love you. Then you'll endure. And you won't even think about it. Let me love you, because I love you. And then you'll endure. You won't even have to try. It won't be an effort. You won't be like, why am I having to love all these people who aren't loving me? It's such a struggle. Just let me love you. And your fruit will endure. And this is the call of our Christ, the same call of the minor prophets to let him shift our hearts. And all we have to do in that is just take a posture of receiving. Abide in him. You don't need to work to be a better Christian. Sojourn with him. 
realize and let him show you over and over again that he is your life source. Because once you see being close to him as a matter of life and death, he will fill you up and make you indestructible. You don't need to do a bunch of commandments to get to him. You need to let him show you how valuable what he's given you is. Inundate yourself. Be still. It says in Exodus 14, be still and watch for the salvation of your God. Be still and let God save you. Let him show you everything he's given you. And out of the realization of that value, you'll start following his commands. Things will change. And again, We don't need to be afraid of measuring up. We don't need to be afraid of making it count. We don't need to be afraid of whether we'll fall or not to that temptation or this or that circumstance. It's not a question about any of that. It's not even a question about am I loving people enough. The only question is have I let him love me enough to trust him, enough to believe he is who he said he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. It's never a question of doing. It's always a question of heart posture. So let him shift it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we need you, Lord. God, I pray that we would realize and recognize how much we need you. I pray, Father, that right now in this time of worship and in this space that you would create uh, space, God, and um, that you would just open us up and that you would shift our hearts. God, um, we all need more of you. So I pray right now this would be a space for abiding, and I pray right now that we would experience you more than ever before, and then out of the overflow of that, you would change us. You would make us powerful where we're weak, that you would make us grateful where we don't recognize you, God, and I pray that you would show us who you are so we can trust you, God. Show us how much you love us. Let us experience your love right now so that we can love you back and worship you. We pray for that in your name. Amen.